all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they've got to get them off welfare. Welcome to Cars and Comrades, the podcast where I'm ostensibly going to be talking about cars today. Nice. But kind of not really. Yeah, we're talking about the collapse of the fucking economy today. And cars will play a part. Cars are playing a big part. They're the uh, they're the canary in the coal mine. That's, that's what we're uh, doing today. But first, car updates. I'll go. Um... I think I uh, mentioned it in the in our channel, but I am continuously working on this Ranger, and I feel like a liberal trying to reform the United States a lot of times. <laughs> I should have just like realized it was fucked and burnt it down a long time ago, but uh, here I go, voting again. <laughs> uh, it's fucking, this fucking transmission is leaking again. Like, I don't understand. Good thing you didn't pay full price for it. Yeah. He gave me the fucking, the leaky ass transmission di discount. Yeah, I bet that motherfucker just like, you know what? Take that fucking gasket out before we give it to this guy. <laughs> Fuck him. Yeah, take, I let's, mean, see, let's see how he likes it then. I mean, it, it had a gasket in it. Like, I, I pulled it apart. It, it I should have more than one. <laughs> no, I just had the one in there. Is it supposed to have more? Oh, shit. No, uh. I took the transmission pan off, and it there was a gasket in there. It was blown to bits. Like it, one oh side was all blown apart. One spot like just broke in half as soon as I touched it. It was I don't know if he just used the shittiest quality gasket he could find, or if something else is going on. But I got a brand new gasket. I replaced the fluid with some hot, heavier weight fluid. I don't know. Maybe it'll Give, help yeah, worth a shot. Yep, might as well. And I gobbed the fuck out of it with RTV. Because <laughs> yeah. I am just over it at this point. Um, I'm going to... I let it dry over. I did this uh, Friday. I, I let it dry over the, the last couple days. And, uh, you know... God. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to... I was, I was biting my tongue over here. Like, please... <laughs> I heard you make a couple noises. Like, I, I let it dry. Don't worry, buddy. I see where you're going with this. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's it should be dried up now, and then I'll, I'm going to drop some fluid in it and uh, test it out tonight. Hopefully, it's uh, the problem is solved. It would get really hot and start to leak like really rapidly, and then I would lose. I think I was losing pressure like within the transmission because it was leaking so quickly, and it would like not hook up at all at low speed. Jesus. Yeah. So hopefully, <clears throat> getting that pan sealed up better will fix the problem. If not, I'm going to drive this truck off a cliff and we'll see if I jump out before it goes over the edge. I'm <laughs> debating right now. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, it's just been a gigantic pain in my ass. So hopefully, hopefully this fixes the problem and then I can just slap a new door on it. Um, and then it'll be good. Get it sold. Get it sold. Yeah, that'll be it. That's, there's definitely nothing else that's going to come up that, that never happens. 
Um, it does seem like you've had consistently only problems with the transmission. That is true. Uh, yeah, it's and been... also a bunch of other things. <laughs> yeah, no, it has been mainly the transmission though. That has been the the sticking point for sure. So, I mean, worst case scenario, if this doesn't solve the problem and it's you know just as bad again, I'm probably just going to go to the junkyard and just cut my losses on this transmission that I've put an incredible amount of money into and just say, fuck it because it was running pretty well with the stock transmission before it, you know, catastrophically failed. Well, Hey, I don't want to give any spoilers for the the topic we're covering today in a few minutes, but if you're going to sell it, you might want to do that soon before the bottom falls out of the market. I feel, I feel the edge coming up. We're looking at the, the precipice now and yeah, I'm trying to get rid of it ASAP, but, um, yeah, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm feeling like uh, I've been wanting to sell that Camaro, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make it before the prices crash. Yeah. So it, it's it's on the horizon for sure. Did I tell y'all someone gave me a car? Sorry. I did, yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if we talked about that yet or not. Yeah. The Lexus someone gave me a Lexus thing. Yeah, that's right. Because Brandon should talk to Lexus. Hey, I said I've come around. <laughs> now I hey. just hate Lexus drivers. Okay, well, I'll never drive the car, and then you can hate me for other reasons. <laughs> All right, well, is is that is that you for the for the episode? Uh, yep, that's it. I'm out. Goodbye. I just wanted to All tell right. you that my Ranger's a piece of shit. I'm leaving now. <laughs> no, well, just we know you're not leaving in the Ranger, so. <laughs> Damn, ouch. <laughs> true, though. That's true. Okay. Um, I'm going to bounce around. Bryant, you're next. Okay, um, well, I haven't done too much other than an oil change on my MR2, and uh, it's it's been good. I did take off one of the front wheels and just check out the brakes because I thought they were a little bit worn, and they got some time before I need to do that. Um, and I was worried that one of the tie rod ends was loose, but if if there is something loose, it's either the bushings that, that hold onto the rack or the inner tie rod because the outer one seems to be fine. So I um, I do have the poly bushings to mount the rack, I believe. And I'll do that probably in the winter when I'm not driving it. But uh, I don't know. I With my new job, I've been doing a lot more highway driving. And uh, y'all want to guess what my mileage has improved by since I did mostly city driving before? Um, what, what, what was your mileage before? I was getting about 25 to 27 in the city. Oh, shit. Oh, you're close to 10 MR2. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And and now I'm getting around 33, 30, 33 to 34. Yeah. Ah, I nailed it. <laughs> so. That's so. Solid. And, uh, and I never thought I would be happy to pay uh, 410 for gas. Oh, God. I'm happy to pay 450 right now. You guys are paying under five. <laughs> you guys can afford gas. We just we just did the real life meme. Yes, <laughs> that's what I was going for. But uh, no, but no, real talk. It was great. Real talk. It's it's still over five dollars for regular here. I, I'm I'm still paying close to six fifty a gallon right now. Oh, yeah, I I I filled up at four dollars a gallon the other day. Nice. Different state, but whatever. Oh, and. I was going to say, I, I think I told you my tires were looking a little old and worn. Um, I was going to ask your opinion or maybe the listener's opinion. 
I'm thinking of possibly going up from the 14 inch tires to, you know, maybe 15 or 16. Um, I don't know if it's worth it because I really like the look of the stock wheels. Um, but it might give me more selection as far as tires. Wait, uh, 14 inch tires or rims? Rims. Yeah. Wheels, or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. I used to run 14s. It's, it's dog shit. Um, do, yeah. Get 15s or bigger. Yeah. I'd, I'd go with honestly, probably 16s even if you're, if you're going to make the switch. Yeah. yeah. When, when, when I faced this uh, issue, I was able to buy a set of wheels and tires cheaper than a new set of tires for my 14 inch rims. Now, granted, I, I got like a moderately good price on some used wheels because I, I wanted a specific style and found them. But still, like my, my tires ended up being like two or three hundred dollars cheaper a set. Oh, man. Yeah. What? I completely forgot when I was doing my updates, but I just snagged some new wheels and tires for my Subaru. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we. Yeah. I saw the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a screaming deal on those. They're um, uh, Rays wheels, like authentic Rays, not Volk Racing, but they're the Graham Light series. Still super solid wheels, oh, yeah. uh, super lightweight, and with tires which are in you know kind of middling condition, but. There's got tires on it for 550 bucks. Okay. okay. Fucking yeah. sweet deal. Yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah. I mean, considering that, like, I mean, if you know Ray's wheels, they're generally some of the more pricey wheels out there for, uh, you know, that kind of style tuner car stuff. Oh, for sure. They, they do produce the Volk TE37, probably the most iconic tuner wheel of all time. They're good shit. So yeah, I think I got a hell of a deal on them. Yeah, for five fifty for four with it was four. It was four wheels and tires, right? Yep, four wheels and tires. The tires are a little mismatched. There's like two Hankooks, one BFG, and one like off brand. Oh, but don't worry about mismatched tires. Take it from me. Shit. You ain't got to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's the least of my worries. I'm honestly, I would be happy with the wheels at five fifty. The yeah, the tires right? I, were just a bonus. So. hell yeah. Yeah, maybe te- check and see if there's any MR2 groups or, or you know, Toyota groups. There, there definitely find, are, uh, yeah. And I know plenty of other MR2 people locally. But, um, I mean, the good thing about those is it's a 4x10, or excuse me, 4x100 bolt mm. pattern. So I can get basically any, um, like, NA or NB Miata, any, like, Honda Civic, you know, tie or, or wheel. Um yeah, those are incredibly common. Yeah. So I, I shouldn't have any trouble finding something that would work, but uh, just the stock wheels look so cool and work with the design of the car so well that I'm kind of hesitant to, to replace them. And if I can just replace the tires that are on there with the same ones at for a decent price, I might end up just doing that. Like, I've kind of gotten... Maybe I'm just getting old or whatever, but like... I. I found myself lately just finding something that I like that works for me and that is, you know, decently affordable and just buying the same exact thing when it wears out. Like I just bought the same exact shoes that I bought two years ago and like the same exact mattress that I bought five years ago. You know, I've just been buying the same thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm just boring that way. I've worn the same exact style and color of shoes for at least seven years and the same pants for probably 15. So I'm in good company. 
at yeah. least. I do feel like you should get some aftermarket wheels, though. They're always cooler. Stock <laughs> wheels always look shitty. Just, I I get okay. they work for you, but man, get some aftermarket wheels. The car, will, you'll be like, oh, wow, the car looks great. Now, <laughs> so I used to have a Miata and an MR2 at the same time, which was a bad idea. You know, don't own two uh, two-seat Japanese sports cars at the same time. It's a bad idea. At one point, like, I got a flat and one, and I had to, to swap tires between them. And they're both the same bolt patterns, though. It was pretty easy. The Miata stock wheels were, like, I think 15 or 16 inch. And, like, a good 10 pounds lighter than the stock 14 inch, um, you know, wheel and tire of the, uh, off of the Toyota. They look each cool. or, like, all four collectively? Um. Like each was like about, I want to say about five pounds difference. Holy cow. That's a lot. Hold on. Which one had the lighter wheels? The Miata, right? The Miata. Yeah. Yeah. That's a significant factor. You do also have to remember that anytime you go bigger rims, all else being equal, it will be heavier. Yeah. What? Not compared to stock wheels, though. Usually stock wheels are very heavy. (laughs) I mean, the thing with bigger, bigger diameter, though, is you have more rotational inertia. So you get slightly worse mileage and um, worse acceleration and turning. So you might as well put dubs on it. <laughs> I mean, that is part of the reason why, like, donks handle terribly is because they're giant. Do not speak ill of donks to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll look into it, but I'll probably just end up being uh, the boring same old person that I am. But uh, womp, that's all I've womp. got. Okay, fair enough. Connor, you want to go next? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've uh, <clears throat> I've certainly had some uh, some interesting updates. Um, update number one. Um, I can't remember. You know, I'm sure I brought it up on whatever episode we recorded last. But uh, I did recently do an oil change on the Z, and I've been keeping an eye on the oil level, and uh, I am losing oil somewhere. Um, uh, and it's hard to say exactly the rate, but I think I've put maybe a thousand to 1500 miles on the car since I did an oil change. I'm not really sure, but I have added a quart and a half, which is not good, not good at all. So yeah, that's bad. I don't know what to do about it. Um, and I have no idea how it's, I mean, I don't see any oil on the engine. There, there isn't a drop that I can see. Um, and I'm not leaving oil stains anywhere, so I don't think I'm leaking oil. Um, and it doesn't smell like I'm burning oil and I don't have any blue smoke or anything. So who the fuck knows where it's going? I don't. So yeah. When you checked your coolant. Oh God. (laughs) I, I haven't, but I was, I was thinking about opening it up today and I'm just like, I don't know if I want to open that. <laughs> I drink I your milkshake. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, probably when we're done recording, I am probably going to go down and I have to go and uh, drop the car because it's currently lifted up in the garage anyway. Um, I was thinking I might have, I was going to take a test drive, but now I'm, I'm drinking beers and stuff. So probably best if I don't. Um, I don't need to go anywhere today, today or tomorrow anyway. So well, you got to um, go a little loosey goosey for a test drive. <laughs> Um, which I'll tell you, I, I, it does need a little test drive, and I'll, I'll tell you why uh, in, a, in a bit. But um, so yeah, I'll probably um, 
it's probably cooled down enough that I can check uh, check the coolant and see if it's oily. So I hope it's not. When you did that full rebuild, you got like internals, right? Yeah. You did new pistons, rings, everything. And yeah. I mean, exactly. not to talk shit or anything, but you, you're sure it got broken in properly. Everything seated well. As far as I can oil. tell, yeah. And it okay. still has it still has excellent compression and leak down. Yeah. Oh, fuck, man. That I, sucks. I was going to say, maybe you're getting some blow-by just under like heavy acceleration or something. And that's, see, that's where what I'm thinking like is possible, but I'm through, like... But on a brand new we built engine? You would fucking hope not. Well, that and I'm like, it's the compression test got to like 185 PSI in each cylinder. Damn. Oh yeah, no way. Where the fuck's the exit? Where the fuck's it gonna get blow by? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just so I cannot for the life of me figure out where this oil is going. Um, there's there's a portal to another dimension it in your oil. fucking <laughs> feels like it. And like, look, it helps that I have added about a quart of capacity um, by using a you know bigger oil pan and all that stuff. So like. It gives me a bit of a safety factor here, but it's kind of like, where is it? I, I So I don't know if maybe there's a gasket somewhere and it's getting somewhere else in the engine, but like eventually that cavity would have to fill. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like, so yeah. Um, I've been trying not to freak out too much about it because um, I've already been really disappointed in this rebuild and like how the car is tuned and how it's like, Hey, I'm driving a shit box that I spent a fuckload of money on. That sucks, but like this is a little bit uh, concerning for sure. Um, it's I don't want to be adding three quarts of oil between oil changes on my brand new rebuilt engine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it's not great. It's not great. So that's update one. Uh, update two. Uh, I was driving to work the other day, and uh, I hit a little itty bitty rock on the highway. Um, but because I'm so I'm so low, it uh, it grabbed the front lip of my car, which granted was a cheapo kind of lip anyway. Although it made the car look a lot better in my opinion. Um, anyway, it was I got it for eighty bucks years ago, and whatever it was fine. It was wait. So you hit something because you were by yourself. No, because I was uh, solo. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I hit a I hit a little a little rock. Uh, it pulled the lip underneath the car, and you know I heard the the rock made a ruckus underneath the car. It <laughs> it hit the car several times. I just as I went over it, it was like clunk clunk clunk, and I was like, oh fuck, oof. But I was like, okay, nothing appears to be wrong. And then I heard this little noise. Um, and I was like, oh, I think that's the car next to me. You know, you know, that, that little trick. <laughs> um, oh, I think it's that truck next to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting worse it's, as he speeds up and it's that piece of shit over there. It's not mine. Oh, and then of course I slowed down. Wait, am I the only one who the opposite thing? The car in front of me can be billowing smoke and I'll be looking frantically around my car. Like what's that smell? Oh, it, it works both ways. No, no, no. It works both ways. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I slow down and then it went away conveniently when the other vehicle went away. I was like, oh, see, it was that other vehicle. And then I sped up and the sound came back and it was just this like light. And I was like, what is that? Is something broken? Is something hanging off my car? 
And then, you know, I speed up. I'm like, let me speed up a little bit, see if it gets worse. And then all of a sudden, the whole fucking front lip goes off underneath my car. I run over it and leave it on the highway. So if you were driving on uh, 294 in the morning, um, that and you saw a black torn up fucking front lip, that was fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, Connor, your car sounds like a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Does that run right yet? No, no, it's I I just like I'm paralyzed with like not even knowing what to do at this point. I'm just like n- no one can help. There's just there's no shop that can fucking deal with it. So, I don't know. I there's another shop that I I I was kind of courting a little bit and I kind of have to get back in touch with them and be like, "Hey, so are you willing to fucking open this can of worms or what's up?" And I haven't had time. I have some friends who um know some people who can help me diagnose it, but I I just haven't had time to like go over and fuck with it you know hopefully by the end of the racing season i'll get things sorted out just in time for winter we'll see and if not you'll have the whole winter to figure it out oh yeah that's how that always works so that's update two update three is why the car is lifted in the garage right now and that is part one i I have to change the diff fluid um, which i have to do somewhat frequently i try and do it with every oil change now but I kind of got off schedule, whatever, and so I'm changing it now. And it needs, you know, special fluid from the manufacturer and all this bullshit, whatever. So I ordered that this week. I got it in. I was ready to do it. And I crawl under the car um, and I look up and sure enough, the uh, drain plugs are a big old fucking Allen key, which I do not have one big enough. So I have to go and get some more tools. <laughs> um, so I have to go and get uh, an Allen key that can open that because I really didn't think it was going to be that. So couldn't do that today. So that sucks. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll be able to do it tomorrow, but might have to just be next weekend anyway. So it wasn't able to accomplish that, but then I sort of accomplished the second task I had, which was to add uh, 25 millimeter spacers, wheel spacers, uh, for my front wheels. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's about an inch. Yeah. Yeah. It's look, it's a lot, but, um, I discovered the last time I was crawling under the car when I was trying to seal up the exhaust leaks, which I mostly sealed up except one, I didn't quite get good enough. Um, it was kind of hard to get at whatever. So, I was under the car and I noticed, and I shared these on our Instagram, by the way, but there were these gouges taken out of my outer tie rods, my very expensive SPL outer tie rods that I just had installed. And I was like, why the fuck is there these gouges? And I'm like, that must be where the wheels are contacting them. When I go full steering lock, the wheels hit the tie rods, which they didn't do before. Part of it is my fault. Front wheels are too wide. Okay, they they don't fit well. I've had this problem before, you know, and so I got to be careful about going full lock, which is hard to do when you're drifting, because um, the car naturally wants to rotate to the max it possibly can. Um, so stuff gets fucked up when I do that. Well, I and so I've made contact with like the control arm and you know the inner you know the wheel well there and like it's but it's been tolerable, right? I just like oh I just got to be careful. What I didn't realize is that when the new tie rods have bump steer corrections, so it actually like lowers the tie rod down because when you lower your car, you like kind of offset a bunch of the suspension geometry. 
So the new tie rods I got have bump steer correction, and that lowers it down. What I didn't know was it lowers it down enough to make contact with the inside of my wheel when I turn it. So the sound I was hearing was not me hitting, like, something reasonable. It was me hitting the fucking tie rods and, like, cutting through them. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so there's these big gouges, which, by the way, the same fucking shop that I've been complaining about and how I hate them and I don't want to go back to them. Um, yeah, they put these on and they didn't mention to me that, oh, by the way, when we turn the front wheels, they make contact with the parts that we just installed on your car, sir. You might want to be careful with that. Instead of telling me that, they didn't. And so I went to a drift event and that's presumably where I cut these fucking things up. You know those motherfuckers never put that steering full lock. They didn't how, even Which? How do you fucking install Tyra and not like check, not like turn the fucking wheels and see like everything look good? No, they didn't do it. Of course not. So they're fucking hacks and I hate them and I'm very upset. So I, I like, I might try and contact SPL and see if I can get like a warranty replacement or if I have to go back to them, the shop, like, I don't want to take my car to the shop anymore, but like might have to. And just like, Hey, you guys fucked this up. Like, you know, please fix this or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, I needed a short term solution. Cause like, I would love to get new wheels, but I, as much as I'm optimistic about my financial future at all times, um, it's not looking great right now. <laughs> Cannot afford to just buy new wheels. So um, I needed a solution that could work in the short term, and that was uh, fucking wheel spacers. And um, I did put them on before we recorded, and they fit, and nothing makes contact right now. Um, and I don't think it'll make contact under a load condition either. So... As of right now, it seems like, hey, the wheel spacers seem to do the trick. The The potential problem is the wheels poke a little bit. A little bit more than I'm, like, comfortable with. So I, I, I may experience a little bit of uh, tire rubbing on the fender, which I hate and would like to avoid. Um, and, and so I got to kind of test drive it and see, like, all right, if, if I'm going to, like, be rubbing, like, just driving down the road, that's not going to work. But... Um, we'll see, I guess. I mean, do you have a baseball bat and a heat gun? You <laughs> <laughs> can solve that problem real quick. Uh, look, you can, you can fuck your shit up real quick. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, especially on Z's, like there's a, there's a part of the Z like in the fender where there's like this extra thick part of the like wheel arch that's like got like a screw in it or something and like. Yeah, you hit that part and it's a little bit it's a little bit different. So I don't know. It's if I have to, I have to. Whatever I gotta do. But um yeah, my fenders are a little bit rolled because I did at some point put someone else's wheels on the front and uh they did rub and they did roll my fenders for me a little bit. So yeah, the uh you know fender flaring tool is like forty dollars. I, I know. I know. Not, not a good one, but just one in general. Well, I, I I've avoided doing that. But, you know, maybe we'll see. Anyway, I'd like to get new wheels that are properly sized at some point. Fuck that, dude. I want to roll my fenders because I want the most tire possible. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we'll see. Wheel spacers may um, be a good short-term solution, and I may be able to drift the car, you know, because once, once I realize, like, 
I'm cutting the fucking tie rods. I was like, I probably shouldn't drift this in this condition for a while. Um, I probably should sh- still shouldn't drift it, but you know, you know me, I'm probably going to do it anyway. Um, I'm itching to get back out on the track and get some practice. Well, at so. least with the spacers, even if it doesn't fix the problem, you'll probably be grinding on a different part of the tie rod now. It, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't be grinding the tie rod at all. I'm, which I'm, um, but yeah, anyway, so that's, I think that's all the updates. Um, they're pretty much all bad, but <laughs> you know, Connor, I, I uh, have a source on some wheels that will definitely fit inside your wheel wells. Oh, do you know? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, th- I think I'll, uh, I think I'll keep my options open to uh, not fourteen inch wheels. What, what is the uh, worth a try? What is the, uh, what do you call it? What's the bolt pattern on a Z? Is it five by one fourteen? Yeah. Okay. Yep, good old five by one fourteen. Yeah, the, the the trouble is, you know, these are ten and a half inch wide wheels. So yeah, that's yeah, it's aggressive. Well, you, you kids and your narrow wheels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's all I got. So okay, well that uh, brings it to me. I, I hesitantly say that fr- from here on out, my uh, my updates might become a little bit more coherent because I'm actually I'm on medication and I can maintain focus on specific projects. Hell yeah. Um, although okay. what I'm about to say is not going to be proof of that. Well, it's been a while since we recorded. So like for several weeks, I continued working on my early Chevy van, the 1969 one. And it was kind of it's it's going all right. It's it's sheet metal fabrication, which is not where I generally excel. And these are generously they are some complex contours. So it's a battle I'm chipping away at. But I recently went to the biggest van event of the year. It was relatively close to where I live this year, and that was a lot of fun. And it had the overall impact of really motivating me to turn some of my vans that run into like exactly what I want them to be. It's, it's really motivating to see like other people's really cool stuff. And you think to yourself, like, I want cool s- stuff. The only thing stopping me is, is time and, and money and effort and, you know, actually being able to find the stuff that I want and all these other problems. <laughs> but it, uh, one day I was, I was working on something outside and I had the grinder oh and uh the the other thing is i finally found uh the exact paint that i want to do on my ford and because now i know what paint i want to use i can start doing the body work which i did not realize was going to be such an issue i knew that there was a few bad spots on the van they came through over the winter from all the salt on the road so the other day I put the wire wheel on the angle grinder, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to knock the Bondo down. And I've, I've talked before about the fact that I did find foam in my rockers. So I, I decided, well, the big thing that was stopping me was I didn't want to strip everything down with no plan after that. Because, yeah, that's yeah, cool. like I wanted to know what step B was before I took on step A. Step B in this case was figuring out like what, what paint I wanted to use and when and how and where I was going to do that. That's pretty well taken care of right now. I'm basically just going to do a, a really good half-assed backyard paint job. It'll it'll be like full like candy paint, metal flake and clear coat, but it will I'll be taking the necessary shortcuts because I'm not a professional painter. So <laughs> I decided to wire wheel off the bondo to see what the sheet metal looked like underneath. Um at which point I learned that there was not sheet metal underneath. <laughs> <laughs> now 
Uh, anyone who follows me on Instagram has seen the pictures I've posted. That foam was structural. <laughs> yeah. My entire rocker is foam and Bondo. Ooh-wee. So it's a composite material. <laughs> yeah, I have a space age van. High performance, <laughs> lightweight. But, so here's like what's blo- what blo- blows my mind at this point is the realization that somebody did this wrong, but they did it the best possible way that you could ever hope somebody would do it wrong. Because I assumed that there was like Bondo and foam filling in holes. Now that I realized that the whole rocker was construct like entirely Bondo and foam, that there's there's a body line and from about an inch above that body line down, no metal. I mean, like some jagged pieces, but uh, they did the they did the body line perfect. Like it was sanded to match everything else on the van perfectly. Well, you got to appreciate a good hack job. I, you know, I genuinely do, man. And I even went through the effort of I know who the last three owners of this van are. So I actually started digging around online, and the earliest picture I could find of my van is from 2017, and it was the same paint, which means that. This has been holding strong for five years. So I, I kind of respect it. So I started clearing all of this shit out. And now for the next surprise. And this isn't even a negative surprise. This is positive. Uh, oh. The foam was wet. And it had not rained for days. But the foam was still damp. So I was really preparing for the worst. Yep. And I get all the foam and the Bondo cleared out from about the front half of the rocker. And uh, what I find is that the inner rocker is almost perfect. There is no rot. There was some surface rust. It was in really good shape. Good. Towards the front, right under the driver's door, I'm going to have to do a patch that would probably be about four square inches. And that's looking like that's going to be it in terms of me having to patch like the interior sheet metal. Oh, that's not bad at all. Dude, yeah, I was expecting it to be so bad, and it was really good. So, yeah, I cut about half of uh, the foam and Bondo rocker off, and I hammered out a replacement panel for it, and it took me... I don't have any of the right tools except literally a hammer and some scrap sheet metal to use as dollies and forms. Uh, So it took me about four and a half hours, and I did a test fit on it uh, yesterday. It's not quite there. I'm probably going to have to, like fine-tune it for another hour or so but it's really close i showed connor pictures of it like i, I i'm good. pretty proud of myself for it the job good. i did on it it looked great uh, it's if if the only reason i'm going to tweak it is because if i get it dialed in so that it is spot on to the rest of the van it'll be easier to make the second patch because uh anybody who's not worked with with sheet metal that much like it kind of gets exponentially more difficult to like hammer on the the bigger the piece is like if you're doing an inch wide piece it takes like five minutes and if you're doing a four foot long piece you're it's going to take me days so i yeah. decided to do this the whole rocker in multiple sections and my first section is about two feet so yeah i think that if i make it like dead nuts um uh, like exact a really close replica of what the original panel would be then it'll be a lot easier to make the next two panels match it. Uh, but uh, that night, like since I was doing all that, I, I started pop like there was some surface rust on my uh, like my rims have a little bit of light rust on them. And I have side pipes on this van. I started cleaning up some of the surface rust on that and just 
generally been kind of motivated to get it cleaned up and looking really nice because it's my daily driver. Hell yeah. Um, and it's been going really well. Uh, and also a lot of my week has been fixing a friend's Subaru, but I'm not going to like get into detail on that because I hated it and it was paying work. And even though it was my friend, I was just, I was like, please take this somewhere else. And for various reasons, that wasn't an option for him. So I did that. The Ford's coming along. Uh, hopefully by the next time we record, uh, the, all of the rocker will be fixed. And, uh, I'd start digging into the fender yesterday too. And there's going to be some light work that I need to do on the fender, but I'm not. I'm not afraid. I'm not going to shy away from using Bondo. I just want to get the sheet metal as close as I can, and then I will use Bondo to hide my sins. Yeah. Well, you you want to smooth it over. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the proper use of Bondo. Bondo is not supposed to be form a whole fucking new shape out of it. It's like, well, <laughs> you're supposed to smooth out what's already there. Cover Honestly, after and- seeing what I saw, I, I think maybe just build the whole car out of Bondo. <laughs> Because the only problems, like the places where it was starting to get bad, was where there was sheet metal left. Because <laughs> Bondo doesn't that's rust. It. That's true. That is true. I have a whole philosophy about Bondo that would take me like twenty minutes to explain, but I, I will not decry Bondo in any amount that you choose to use it. It's just you know do the prep work first. If you properly treat metal before Bondo goes onto it, the Bondo will outlast the sheet metal. True. Yeah, don't don't quote me on that, but you know, I'm making myself feel better about some decisions I'm going to make this week. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. So that's that's me. Hopefully, next time you guys talk to me, I'll have like this fully painted, super cool boogie van. Yeah, hopefully. Oh, that all seems possible in the next two weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, it always does. That's why we keep doing it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. I'll, I'll do a full car's worth of body work and then paint it in a week. Why not? Two weeks. You guys want to talk about the recession? Boy, do I. Can't wait. Super psyched about this. Sounds like fun. Well, I have good news. Uh, according to the White House, we're not in a recession. Well, that's good. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's the end of the episode. We can, we can stop now then. Episode over. <laughs> no, we're done. <laughs> no, the, the, the White House is actually saying that one of the pieces of evidence that we're not in a recession is that unemployment is so low. And we can all believe those numbers are... Uh accurate to reality i mean they don't count people that have like given up on or retired or whatever yeah but they never have so even if you factor that in there's it's consistent you know what i mean consistently wrong well yeah but it's uh like they changed the metric to to gauge inflation in like what the 90s or early 2000s because the metric that they had historically used made it look like inflation was happening too fast so they just changed it so now when you compare this year to 1980 it's really misleading. They've always mm. measured unemployment the same way. So even though it's always been wrong, you still have some idea of like, you have a, a basis for comparison. This month, it came to my attention that automotive or like auto repossessions are starting to spike. So I started looking into it and found out that this, this is like delinquencies on payments have been like really, really dramatically escalating for the last three months. And it's only been in the last like at the beginning of July that repossessions started to spike. And that's historically kind of a big indicator for a recession. In America, most people need a car to get by. It's a necessity of life. You can't just go to work and go to the store and take your kids to this, that and the other thing in most places without a, a means of getting around. Dude, in my hometown, we didn't. I don't think that there even was 
like a public transit thing. I, I've never seen a bus in my hometown. Actually, this is uh, uh, we're on July 31st, and I'm very proud of myself. This is a thing that I've I've been reading about for the last couple of weeks because I, I picked up on it pretty early. So, how badly have repossessions spiked? I have no fucking clue. Like, wh why would somebody know this? There's there's no conceivable way in the modern world to like track information. That's mm -hmm. it's just not something we could do. <laughs> I tried using the internet, but after like a half an hour on the internet, I just all I realized was that the Earth is flat and the government's full of lizard people. <laughs> that's a good start you're, you're but, on the right path i think yeah actually this is a fascist podcast now because i was on the internet for 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> i was listening to QAnon anonymous podcast they had a uh, live agar on there talking about like the weird shit on tiktok there is some crazy conspiracy theories on there. Yeah, of course, you know, Hillary Clinton is a lizard person. You know, we all know that. But oh, if if on August 27th, if you see a man in a red jacket outside your window, go and talk to him and he'll have instructions for you. I love that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> all of life is just an alternate reality game now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> actually what what a good way to put it finally something where it doesn't I say i like a conspiracy theory that involves a fun little side quest actually know? no I, I wonder how long i have to read about that before it comes down to jews control the media yeah yeah i think she found pretty quickly that it went to that god damn it it's always that yeah it's like the i don't know if you've ever watched any of those documentaries about the flat earthers like pretty quickly they they, they break break out that j word I don't feel like it was always this way, but n nowadays, definitely, if there is a conspiracy, it's you're only five steps max from the elders of Zion. Yeah, yeah no, that was uh, hate hate say it. That's always been the case. Even aliens and UFOs are like JFK shit. Um, not every conspiracy per se is going. Well, like JFK, I'm pretty sure you, you don't have to look that long. Some like it's actually, there was a lot of directions that one could go. Like they, they, yeah. people really went hog wild with JFK. Aliens are tough, but you know, they could say, Oh, well, Jewish people control the media and the government. And you know, they made a deal with the aliens or something. You can come up with anything, you know, even, even way back in the like 17, 1800s, um, anti-Semitism was still rampant. Um, and, every conspiracy in those days was like oh see it's those it's those darn jewish folks it's just it's always been the case every conspiracy every every era has had conspiracy theories tied to jewish people control the world and they're evil and whatever it's just bonkers shit. it's always been the case anyway yeah sorry the best, the best i can tell based on some reading is like i couldn't find specific numbers on repossession rates it looks like it's it's kind of something that investors are like keeping really close to the chest for one reason or another, and they don't report on. Uh, hmm. So it varies from people just speculating to I, I watched a YouTube video where a guy was calling tow truck companies to see if they had personally experienced a spike in repossessions and trust what you will. But across the board, the consensus is repossessions are up and going up more. Hmm. So why do investors have anything to do with why I might not know what these specific rates are? Uh, hold on a second. We'll get there. Good. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question. Have you noticed lately, you know, bear with me, maybe car prices are starting to get like really fucking high? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't say. Yeah. I, I have yeah. noticed that actually. Yeah, I noticed that too. It turns out everyone has. 
I, I couldn't find concrete numbers, sorry, consistent numbers, like people report different things, but it looks like car prices have increased between 12 and 15% every year for the last three or four years. Ouch. Uh, Jalopnik reports that car payments are up 25% from the last decade to an average of $600 a month. That's average now? Yeah, average is $600. Unimaginable. Look, is that for all new cars or used cars also? They didn't specify. I, I interpreted a lot of this to mean specifically new cars. I believe it. Uh, because the new car market has been going crazy for a little while. The used car market is, is that's a lot more fresh because it took like the supply shortages and everything else for the used car market to go hog wild. Yeah. yeah. 25% not really like that much, right? Like well, you're all making 25% more than you were 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I just find this unfathomable because like every once in a while i have that thought like boy you know i should i should consider getting like a newer obviously used okay like a newer car for a daily or something i'm thinking like you know 2012 would be great even though that's 10 years old now anyway i think about it from time to time and i just i think about the payments and i'm like i that would be like a three or four hundred dollar a month payment i'm just i that that's too much i don't want to do that and to think that the average is 600 is i can't that's like a rent payment. Like who? I, that's it's too much. I, that's fucking crazy. It feels dark for me to admit this, but I actually like found a car that I would consider buying new or like gently use and started shopping around and figuring out what my monthly payment was going to be and all that shit. And yeah, dude, when I when I found out what the monthly payment for what felt like to be a moderately priced car yeah. was going to be, I, I was like, no, fuck this. Yeah, it's crazy. Like what? I don't, I don't think I could ever convince my mom to co-sign on something for me, which I, I don't want to ask because I'm almost fucking 40. I still would if it saved me like thousands of dollars. Yeah. But with my credit score, m- my payment was going to be over $800 a month. Oh, oh my God. For, for the car that I wanted, which was under 40K new. Jesus. 800 a month. Jesus Christ. By the way, I see a ton of like young motherfuckers driving around like STIs and shit. And I'm just I don't get it. How are you paying this? Because I know I'm like, that's a $40,000 car. How is some like 20 year old kid paying for that? I don't I, get it. A lot of them are. It's the best. I yeah. can guess. Or, or a lot of new cars are now, you know, like what's the standard? Like three years. Seven, now it's like seven years. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Seven years. Yeah. Six. That's the average now, or uh, there's seven. Oh, there's definitely seven years out there, but maybe six no, no. is the standard. The, the average duration of an auto loan right now is up to seventy-two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, seventy-two months like, is uh, well, I'm six two, years. Oh, okay, cool, good. I'm glad someone can do the math. Now, that's that's not to say that it's the maximum; that it is the average. Yeah. So, hey, yeah. So, in 2022, what would you? Uh, I'll give you two. What would you say the average price for a new car and a used car is? <laughs> so average? Okay. Yeah, average. Let's let's start with new. What's the average new car price? 50. No, it can't be that. It can't be I that. I guess I It's got to be It's got to be insane. I'm going to say around 35 30 35 to 40. 32 32 uh, unless we're playing price is right rules, congratulations Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Forty-seven thousand dollars. That cannot possibly be. Well, if you think that's upsetting, what do you think the average price for a used car is? I'm afraid now. Thirty-five. Thirty-eight. Uh, twenty-five. No, you know what? No, I'm revising mine up. 
I'm revising up. 41. Connor, you overcompensated. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> uh, $31,000. God. Fuck that damn. shit. That's still... Even, even when you guys were guessing high, it's still so hard to learn that it's true. I mean, <laughs> this just confirms my decision to drive shit boxes until I'm dead. Yeah, I'm like, all right, I guess this is the financially responsible thing to do. Literally. Yeah, but now go online and find a shit box that's only four figures. Oh, yeah. That's like, everything costs a fortune now, dude. Dude, it's it's so bad. Donut me. Oh, by the way, by the way, in case I, I don't know if it's if it's going to come up in your notes. Talking a little bit out of my ass, but I'm pretty confident in this. The CPI data that they use to help determine, like, figure out where inflation is, I'm pretty sure excludes housing. It does and car prices. That's what I was referencing earlier. It was in the 90s or early 2000s when it stopped including housing prices because yeah. housing prices were fucking up the inflation rate too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah beautiful it's okay guys don't worry we're not in a recession <laughs> joe brandon, brandon told me about your feelings <laughs> joe brandon so we, told we me changed so. all the yeah. facts to not care about your feelings well the facts were feeling really bad to hear <laughs> so we just changed them yeah dude car prices are so fucked up that donut media has an entire series of episodes on their youtube channel where everyone tries to guess based on blue book value or MSRP, how much cars cost. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just like a whole episode of, of watching like three car guys try not to cry. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess all the, the people my age that were into, um, you know, sports cars in the nineties, like Japanese stuff suddenly got a whole lot of money. And now like an Integra or whatever is worth five figures or something. I, 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 I forget which specific iteration of Japanese sports cars from the 80s it was, but on one of the, those episodes on Donut Media, they had one, and it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't get it. Okay, sure, I would love to have, um, you know, uh, like a, like a, you know, 97 Integra or whatever that's got low miles and, you know, the nice color or whatever, the nice options. I don't want it that bad. Like, who, who is buying? There's only two types of people that are going to spend like a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars on a car, and it's people who capitalists. hundred. There's one type. Capitalists. It's it's, it's people who a hundred thousand dollars is nothing to them, and it doesn't matter that they just spent it on a car. Or it's people who like want that car so fucking bad that that that's their thing. That's what they've spent all their money on. Those people are fucking out there, man. I guess, yeah. And they're capitalists, both of them. Yeah, I was watching uh, an interview with a guy who had a Viper that he drag raced. And he was talking about how he was taking out like $20,000 loans against his house. All of his <laughs> credit cards were maxed out because he was making like 1500 fucking horsepower in like late 90s or early 2000s. <laughs> I can't remember. Now he like makes a living as a racer. But he was talking about putting himself into serious debt and he, he mentioned how much he made, and it wasn't like he was getting by on poverty wages, but it was sub six figures. Crazy. <laughs> it was probably like 20, 30, 40% of his income went into his car. Oh my God. And now he's a racer who obviously can afford to do that, I'm guessing. But then you think about like how many dudes did that and then just... <laughs> and just ended up 100 grand in debt. <laughs> yeah. It's like pyramid schemes for cars, I guess. Yeah. Cars basically are a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty much the worst well, investment. Any, anything except like a commuter, like anything that we're doing is just funneling money into like yeah every, every fucking parts company. Well, it's at the very least, it is smiles per gallon. Hopefully, 
Okay, okay. Let's get back to okay, the Jalopna card. Okay, I mentioned be- before. before we get back to that real quick, I just got to correct myself because I did say a dumb thing, and I just want to be clear. The CPI does include a used cars and trucks index, which is a component of the private transportation index, which is somehow included in the transportation group of the consumer price index. So in a very weird roundabout way, the CPI does include used car prices. So anyway, I just that was to- such a convoluted mess of words. I don't know how you could attribute that to you being dumb. <laughs> well, the point is the CPI includes car prices and I thought it didn't. At least, you know, I'm not putting out misinformation. Well, since they arbitrarily decided to take housing off of it. That seems like a reasonable like mistake that's, to make. That's where I was coming from. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, let's. I want to get back to the Jalopnik article that I mentioned before because, oh, fuck, it has some information. The article was actually published in 2021. That was when all of us were like really just catching on. Man, like all these cars that I like are suddenly starting to get a lot more expensive. And Jalopnik decided to actually crunch the numbers and prove, no, yeah, you're right. The, the car market has gone totally fucking out of its mind. A lot of people might have never heard of this or might not know what I'm talking about, but around 2008, the U.S. started to have some financial troubles. Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't aware of that. Could you tell me more about <laughs> Well, there was this whole housing thing, and they were bundling, like, subprime loans, fucking investment words, finance, blah, blah, blah. Everything don't, turned out fine, uh, except for all the people who lost their homes. They got nothing. But all the businesses that lost money were turned out fine. Good. Oh, okay. That's that's good. Then. But the important thing is that we all learned a valuable lesson and never repeated our mistakes. Yeah. At least not in right? the same way. Well, even that. Well, <laughs> it turned out we maybe didn't completely learn from our mistakes. Um, so... Even though there were a bunch of measures installed to prevent what happened in 2008 from happening again, which, as Connor has recently informed me, and I have not researched further, have all been rolled back. Not all, but most. Most have been rolled back. To be specific, like what happened in 2008, in a very casual sense, was home loans got bundled together. They would receive a rating, like what is it, A++, A+, whatever. Yeah. It's a it's a weird, not just like A, B, C, D, F rating system, but they would receive these ratings. Effectively, uh, home loans were considered really safe, so they were all getting these really positive ratings, except that they were just handing out home loans to anybody who looked at them, and some of those got fairly risky. They were giving home loans to people who could not afford it. They were giving home loans to people who already had four home loans, things like that. (laughs) And now they are doing that with cars. Woo-wee! All right. What could go wrong? Uh, yeah, they are being bundled and, and sold in the same way that home loans were. I don't want to spoil the rest of the episode or maybe even the economic situation of the U.S. in the next few years, but it does not look good. What Jalopnik reported is the auto loan agencies are just handing out loans to everyone that asks. They are not correlate or uh, they're not necessarily correlating interest rates to credit scores. That means that some people with really good credit scores are still getting shit rates, but Nobody with a bad credit score is getting a good rate. (laughs) Yeah. Shockingly, it only works out in favor of the banks. Okay, so uh, what Jalopnik learned from over 20,000 borrowers with prime or super prime credit scores, that's like high 700s and then into the 800 range. Yeah, so prime is above 720. Super prime is is like 800. Eight something and up. Yeah, I think. So these are people with credit scores double my own. <laughs> yeah. They're some of them are receiving interest rates over ten percent, 
which is Ooh. double the average for people with their credit score. Oh my god. Yeah, that's crazy. By the way, even that's too high for some with that credit score you should be you should get a 1% interest rate. Fuck. What is the fucking point of having that kind of credit to get that kind of shit? Well, come on. 10%. If I got a 10% rate and I had you know scratched and clawed my way above 7 fucking 20 and I was paying ten percent. I don't. I don't know what I'd do. But oh my god, no, that's crazy. I haven't found any like evidence that connects A and B, but I am going to get to something that could cause that in a way where you know even somebody that knows their credit score still can't do anything oh, about it. I, I can answer that. Oh, no evidence requ- required. Um, profit. It's profitable to increase the rates, whether someone has good credit uh, or not. Yeah. <laughs> You know, my the actual reality is is way shistier than that. I mean, because to me, I'm like, where the fuck else are they going to go if everyone's going to give them a shitty rate? Too bad. Just give me okay. a minute. Just give me a minute, <laughs> bud. Uh, I, I want to address underwriting first. Uh, it, it, it's gone to shit. You know what underwriting is, yeah? We're basically like, it's it's doing your due diligence. It's making sure that somebody like makes more than $5,000 a year before you give them a $70,000 loan, all that yeah. business. Well, they stopped doing it. Woo! <laughs> Not like as a matter of fact, but it they've just really faltered on it. If you, you can get a, a fucking loan that's just huge with no job, no way to repay, they're just going to give it to you because they didn't check to see if you had an income or a job or anything like that. The, the general rule is that you don't want your car loan to be more than 10% of your income. This is like a metric that they're supposed to be paying attention to. They're just not. To that, I say, if you do go and get a huge loan and, and they don't ask you any questions, get a fucking Hellcat. <laughs> Have some fun. Send it a month later with eight rods knocking and a diff scattered all over the fucking road. Raise hell, praise Dale. <laughs> oh, <yeah. coughs> Seriously, I'm sure that they're going to fuck you either way. So just if, if you don't give a shit about your credit, like, honestly, I should be the one out doing this. I have, I have, there, my life has no consequences and I don't give a shit about credit because I realized that it was a scam when I was 20. I mean, it, it is a scam, but you know, it's, it's an important scam that everyone has to participate in. God, much like capitalism, it is a scam that runs our life. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's discuss that car dealerships are straight up running scams on people. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Are we talking like the in many different forms too? The Carvana stuff or Oh, we'll we'll get to that, but that's not the worst thing I found. I love a good scam like everyone else. It's like stand-up comedy. You always punch up. That is not what is happening here. I found a report from the Center for Responsible Lending, which I didn't fact check. That that sounds on its face trustworthy. I always trust whoever agrees with you. <laughs> no, no, they, they this actually did seem like sort of consumer, like trying to protect the su- consumer sort of organization. And they detailed various scams that dealerships would run, including yo-yo scams and receiving kickbacks from lending agencies for inflating the price of the car through add-ons, extra features, and predatory terms on their loans. It's egregious enough that some salesmen were found to tell customers that certain car features were necessary for, per the conditions of their loans. Nice. And those yo-yo scams? And I'm just going to like read the text of what they published real quick because, oh my god. Uh, Yo-yo scams. A spot delivery or conditional sale is any deal where the financing is not finalized until after the buyer has already taken the vehicle home from the dealership. The deal becomes a yo-yo when the buyer is called back into the dealership and told that the sale cannot be made as agreed. 
At that point, the buyer is told to either return the car or accept financing at more expensive terms. The dealer may have deposited the down payment and sold the trade-in at auction, or in some cases will represent to the customer that the dealer has already done so, even if the dealer has not. Faced with having to do without a car, the buyer is pressured to accept financing with a higher rate, a larger down payment, or finding a cosigner. Sometimes the dealer will charge additional rental fees, excessive mileage fees, or restocking fees for the use of the vehicle during those few weeks. <laughs> Woo! Uh, this is a good one. So I, I love it. Just yeah, incredible. When I, when I told you that it was more egregious than they just want to make more money, no, no, they're actually strong-arming. We're, we're charging you 10% interest, and people are like, well, no, I'm going to walk away. It's like, no, no, we, we've broken your legs. You can't <laughs> yeah. walk away. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, every time you think it can't be worse, it's just worse. Yeah. And oh, all, all of this on top of the fact that they're selling cars so far over MSRP that Ford itself has threatened to take action against car dealerships. <laughs> yeah. And that's for new cars. So, like, they're, they're just... The used is just also same. They're just wildly inflated prices. Same shit. Just absurd. And the more new cars go up in price, the more used cars go up in price. And vice versa <laughs> it's a so, so connor i know that this is more what you know about so why don't you tell us a little bit about carvana so it's not carvana per se but carvana comes up into this whole situation because of the owners of carvana so carvana is just this they they build themselves as the amazon of cars quote unquote and we're going to have to, in the future, do a full episode on Carvana, although I would tell the listeners to uh, go check out a podcast called Eat the Rich. They did do a, a little bit of a quote-unquote, you know, mildly deep dive on Carvana and what they are. For the most part, Carvana is largely a scam that is designed to funnel money into a different company that is going to be really impactful on this coming economic crisis but they essentially funnel money into so the guy who is the ceo of carvana his father is the ceo of a company called drive time automotive a company that runs a whole bunch of these used car dealers and they're known as buy here pay here companies which is a really fucked up new development in the car world mostly post uh, 2008. And these are the kinds of companies that give loans that Brandon was talking about being bundled up like housing loans and sold on the market as subprime auto loans. So really bad. <laughs> so Carvana is really just... Uh, Some of those pa- like uh, loan, loan packages are being sold at rates that are literally half what they were five to ten years ago, and they're being bought up more aggressively than they even were then. Yeah. This is doomed to failure. It's 2008 all over again, but for auto loans, because there's not the same kind of scrutiny as there is whatever mild scrutiny is left of the housing market doesn't exist for the car market. And if you're listening and thinking, hey, a vehicle is oftentimes someone's second largest or potentially even largest expense you're right it is and that can be a real problem for coming economic crisis like when you get into say a recession and there's more repossessions and stuff what i'd like to do is read a little bit about these companies and kind of how they work 
by investigating this billionaire guy who became a billionaire by exploiting working class people with really fucked up, insanely crazy fucking loans. So I've got an article here. It's a Forbes article from 2017. It's entitled, How an Ex-Con Became a Billionaire from Used Cars. So a little background. Oh, is this the guy who owns the junkyards? <laughs> no, this is Drive Time Automotive, which used to be a company called Ugly Duck. There's there's a similar story about a guy who figured out how to to, to game junkyards, and now he's a billionaire. Really? Wow, I, yeah. would, I would not have expected that. <laughs> so that, you know, that's that's episode worthy on its own because that's like a whole thing how junkyards work now. Holy shit! So anyway, this guy. I'm going to skip over some of his past, but he played a big role in the savings and loan crisis. So he's not exactly new to the whole causing massive economic crises thing. So this would be potentially his second time. Around. So he's not even like a cool kind of felon. No, he's the he's the bad kind. Like he's tied up with like the Reagan administration and shit. Just a bad guy. Just awful bad guy. So anyway, I'd like to uh, skip over kind of some of that stuff. The guy's name is Ernest Garcia II, and his son... This... I trust him. He seems <laughs> earnest. <laughs> uh, and his son is Ernest Garcia III, a 60-year-old convicted felon, obviously awful financial scam charges, stood next to his son as Ernest Garcia III rang the bell of the New York Stock Exchange. For decades, Garcia had been careful to stay out of the public eye, but with the initial public offering of Carvana, he was ready to openly celebrate a crowning achievement. He's kind of had a whole bunch of stuff, but we'll kind of come into what he's doing today. Today, Garcia operates Drive Time Automotive, the fourth biggest, mind you, not even the biggest, the fourth biggest used car retailer in the country. And he is separately the biggest shareholder of Carvana, a used car e-commerce company with a hot stock. He borrows big money from the nation's largest banks, owns an apartment in Trump Tower, and has has struck relationships with the likes of former U.S. Vice President Dan Quayle. 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 God, was was he Reagan's (laughs) vice president or what? I don't even remember this guy. Uh, Bush, I believe. Jesus. Anyway, and Mark Walter, one of the most powerful billionaires on Wall Street. Incredibly, Garcia himself is now a billionaire. Forbes estimates his net worth at $2.5 billion. A year ago, according to the Eat the Rich podcast, his net worth exploded after this article was written because of the COVID pandemic and the continued proliferation of this style of auto loan that we're going to get into. Uh, he's now in the like 15 to $18 billion or something. His worth quintupled in like a year's time or something. Um, and basically, here's kind of how it works. Forbes estimates his you know, net worth at $2.5 billion. Again, this is from 2017. Drive time, which sells used cars and is in the sometimes controversial business of making auto loans to low-income consumers, has seen its business grow 19% annually, annually in the last decade. That is a lot of growth, like a lot. It's going to become an issue because of what we'll be going into. And with shares of Carvana up 46% since its April IPO, Garcia's stake in Carvana alone is worth $1.5 billion. With Garcia's son, Garcia III, as CEO, Carvana has been promoted as the Amazon of cars, a Phoenix-based technology platform for buying and selling used cars. Consumers can use its website to buy used cars, blah, 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 obtain financing and arrange for vehicle delivery. Carvana also has eight glass tower vending machines that are as high as whatever. Uh, they're high. Dude, uh, Chicago is actually the first time I ever saw one of those. There's one in Chicago. Is there really? 
Somewhere in the suburbs, yeah, I believe so. There was one that was put on pause right where I, right by where I live, I guess. They were going to build... Do you one. have any idea why? Uh, yes, I do. Um, be, they're being like banned from uh, selling cars in Illinois. <laughs> okay, I, I, I was assuming that you were going to cover this. Now, I don't know if you realize. Do you, have you seen anything about the money they've lost this year? Uh, they have lost... Uh, they, they've never been a profitable company. They don't have to be. They're down billions this year. A casual search of Carvana losing money, and I find that the younger Garcia has lost $4.1 billion this year, and that was in April. Yeah. Oh, May 6th, uh, they were de- their stock was down 87% since last August. Nice. Yeah, these, these people are hemorrhaging money. And probably in a weird way where they're making a profit off of it. Oh yeah, sure, they're doing but... they're doing just fine, believe me. Investors were predicting this was going to happen eventually because they're like this company is a sh- it's a shell company. It's it's a scam and basically Carvana is a way to essentially funnel money to drive time automotive. Carvana had this hot stock and so it was making money on that, but really the money that the owners were making was coming by funneling money back to drive time which they are really making that's their fucking money it's it's a whole thing let me see let me skip ahead here and kind of get into this a little bit here so the deal has been a huge win winner for garcia he basically he bought this company for under a million dollars it was called ugly duckling it was a rental car company and he instead transformed it into a used car company that also does financing so they wrote forbes wrote about them back in 2001 because they made a bunch of money during the dot com era right where companies were exploding in value which is where you know like elon musk comes onto the scene same thing Woo! this company he buys for a million dollars it's worth 170 million in like a couple of years because of just the dot-com stuff so anyway the deal has been a huge winner for garcia drive time now generates annual revenues of some 2.5 billion and is extremely profitable garcia recently declined offers to buy drive time for just under 1 billion dollars according to an individual familiar with the matter the company has securitized billions in auto finance receivables and has bank lines with wells fargo and citigroup Some consumer protection advocates have argued that companies that both finance and sell automotive used automobiles too often put consumers in cars they cannot afford. The average drive time customer makes between $37,000 to $50,000 a year and has poor credit history. In the recent past, at least 45% of drive time's auto installment contracts were delinquent at a given time prompting drive times 370 or so collection employees in the u.s and barbados to start calling consumers behind on their payments what was the percentage you 45 percent so just about half are delinquent at any time now i thought you said four to five percent and i thought that was high. <laughs> no 45 they've been brought into court for like crazy harassing collection calls and stuff they're they're awful like that of course we've heard this kind of story before now drive time certainly gives some people their best shot at owning a car so they can get to their jobs in other places but the consumer financial protection bureau said three years ago that drive time harmed consumers by making harassing debt collection calls and providing inaccurate credit information to credit reporting agencies. They can just lie. Dude, I get it. Run scams, rip people off, harass people until they want to die, but just punch up. (laughs) But they won't. (laughs) So anyway, that got, that earned them an $8 million civil penalty. Um, It was, doesn't even register for these rich motherfuckers. 
Garcia's son, Garcia III, joined Drive Time after earning his engineering degree from Stanford University. So, of course, right out of college, he's got a nice, nice gig there. He started... No, dude, think about all that student loan debt he's got from going to Stanford University. (laughs) Yeah. So this is where, you know, they start Carvana as like a subsidiary of Drive Time, and then they eventually spun it off and whatever. But it's always, the key is always funneling money back to drive time because that is where their fucking cash is that's the reality and there's just there's all sorts of stock scams and just like the way they raise money and then they're loaning themselves money and shit they're just they're fucking wild okay but what's relevant to our story today so we know who the guy is he you know how these chains kind of exist in this universe of shitty auto loans and we're going to talk about how these shitty subprime auto loans are expanding. His business was expanding 19% each, you know, year over year for 10 years. Here's kind of a story to illustrate how this works. Tiffany Lee wanted a car. She was weary of the two-hour bus ride to her job at UCLA Health System Clinic. She hated having to ask friends to drive her seven-year-old son to his asthma treatments. But as a single mother with three children, bad credit, and a $27,000 a year salary, she couldn't find a bank or dealership willing to give her a loan, right? A lot of people in that situation, especially now. Then a friend steered her to, I'm going to read the name of this and a little bit of a red flag, repossess auto sales in Hawthorne. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, I I see no problem here. (laughs) So another buyer might have balked at the deal she was offered. Lee figured she had no choice. She put $3,000 down and drove off in a 2007 Ford Fusion. Uh, By the way, this article was written in 2011. So it's a newer-ish car at the time. So she drove off in a 2007 Ford Fusion, agreeing to pay $387 a month for four years. The interest rate, 20.7% nearly triple the national average for a used car loan. A year and a half later, Lee fell behind on her payments and filed for bankruptcy. So she was relieved when the dealership called and offered to make her loan more affordable. The sales manager even promised to throw in a free smog check. Lee, 35, drove back to repossess auto on a rainy Monday evening, handed the keys to an attendant and sat down with the manager. Oh, no. (laughs) Moments later, she said, employees parked four cars tightly around the Ford, blocking it in. There would be no new deal. Lee's car was being repossessed. She and her children waited in the rain until a friend could drive them home. Lee, who described that night as one of the worst experiences of my life, had stumbled into the bare-knuckle world of buy-here-pay-here used car sales. In this little-known but fast-growing corner of the auto market, dealers command premium prices for road-worn vehicles and finance the sales at interest rates that can top 30%. In a kind of financial alchemy, They have found a way to turn clunkers into cash cows and make money off the least creditworthy customers, the millions of Americans who are stuck in low-paying jobs, saddled with debt, and unable to qualify for conventional auto loans. By the way, more and more, this is a conventional auto loan now. This is the fucking norm, pretty much. For most of those people, having a car is the only way to stay employed, and they'll have to accept almost any terms to get one. Buy Here, Pay Here lots sold nearly 2.4 million cars nationwide last year. Again, this is in 2011, and as we know, their business has increased 19% annually for the next decade, up from 1.3 million a decade ago. So it's actually accelerated, uh, according to uh, CNW Marketing Research. 
CNW estimates that there are more than 33,000 lots nationwide, compared with about 20,000 dealerships selling new cars. Pretty common. <laughs> Buy here, pay here dealers make $80 billion in loans every year, according to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp, FDIC. Although dealers are loath to open their books, profit margins average nearly 40%, which is Whoa. fucking huge. Uh, according to a trade group, the National Alliance of Buy Here, Pay Here... <laughs> what? The National Alliance of Buy Here, Pay Here Dealers? What? <laughs> I can't believe that exists. Holy shit. They, for- they formalized the mafia. <laughs> oh God. I'm sorry. I just That is just such a funny fucking name. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Anyway, many of the... I'm, I'm going to start my own dealership, but and it's just going to be called, like, Buy Here, Pay Here, or else. <laughs> we we uh, many- rip you off, motors. It- It'll be like the Toys R Us sign, except RLs instead of RLs. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, fuck it. I'm just starting Toys RLs. <laughs> Does anyone have any capital? Yeah, no. Unfortunately, no. Okay. Um, I thought y'all might be capitalists. Uh, anyway, man, many of the lots require customers to return once or twice a month to make loan payments in cash. Hence the term buy here, pay here. Now, a key reason, this is where we get in, really important. A key reason for the industry's growth in tough times, um, which is always pretty much, is that dealers can come out ahead whether or not customers keep up with their loan payments. Now, that's weird. That seems like it shouldn't be the case. About one in four buyers default. In the real estate and credit card industries, that would be bad news. In the world of buy here, pay here, it's just another avenue for profit. The car can be repossessed and put back on the lot for sale in short order. A new buyer makes a down payment, takes on a high interest loan, and the cycle starts anew. Provided they don't get wrecked, these recycled vehicles just keep paying dividends. And at some dealerships, cars have been sold and resold over and over. Three, four, even eight times a piece, motor vehicle records show. The article goes on, which I, I don't know if I mentioned it, so I'll mention it now. This is from a Los Angeles Times article entitled A Vicious Cycle in the Used Car Business. Obviously, the podcast I cited before goes into it. But the point is how this works. A dealer buys a car at auction. They buy it at whatever price, say $5,000. When they mark it up, they're not marking it up a little bit. Okay, they'll spend $500 to spruce it up with, you know, brakes and, you know, maybe a, a detail. And they'll put it on their lot for ten grand. Which, right, so like when you look at cars at dealerships, they're always, you look at the prices and you're like, what the fuck? That's their profit margin. <laughs> and it's more than that even. So what they do, they put the car up at a hugely inflated price. And obviously right now they're getting away with it, especially with supply chain issues and whatnot. But when they do the financing there, which more and more dealerships do, because it's obviously extremely profitable to do it this way. What happens is buyers come in. They put in a down payment. That's money right to the dealer, right in their fucking pocket. That's their money. And when these people, they pay, they pay this outrageous interest rate. So the dealership's making a fuckload of money on this crazy interest rate. Then if they pay off the loan, these companies will make a huge potential profit. If they sold the car for $10,000, the car is probably going to be, when it's paid off, probably worth 13000 right? So that's like an absurd margin already. But if they default, obviously, they just repossess the car and they can put it back out on the lot, sell it again, do it all over again. So it is now profitable. And in fact, it is more profitable for buyers to default. So now what Brandon's been setting up is how there's more of these repossessions. There's more of these defaults. And I'm saying the market 
has proliferated these dealers, which, you know, increase interest rates more and more, and they are incentivized to create loans that risk default at a high rate because it is more profit in their pockets. So I'm just trying to set this up that it is profitable for people to fucking default. And that, in turn, pushes interest rates even fucking higher. When we see that there's a big problem coming and like there's more repossessions on these prices and auto prices are absurd right now, we got a pro- we got a real problem here. <laughs> if we're entering a recession now, it doesn't guarantee that this is going to be that this bubble is going to pop. But this bubble is here and it has reshaped how auto loans exist. It is not normal that these loans are like a common type of auto loan, but like subprime auto loans are now, they're more profitable than regular auto loans. Like, like how do you, capitalism has created a situation where uh, bad loans are good loans. So anyway, I'll, I'll kind of give it back to Brandon now. I, I know you still got more, but that's the buy here, pay here model, which I'm sure we'll do an episode on Carvana and this whole thing uh, again later. But this is a scam that is decades and decades old because it's it's never been uh, anything but obvious to most people that why would i buy 10 cars and sell 10 cars when i could buy one car and sell it 10 times yeah because then your cost your cost out of pocket is the cost of one car not 10 and you've still sold it 10 times pretty much so uh at the end of last year five percent and this is why i was confused when you said four to five instead of 45 at the end of last year five percent of all reported auto loans were already delinquent. That's one in 20. That is not an insignificant amount. Now, I know what you're all thinking. It's all because Trump and Joe Brandon started cutting checks and printing money, and they just don't understand economics. <laughs> Our listeners are definitely thinking that. <laughs> and uh, if that's what you thought, then, you know, shut the fuck up. Every time somebody uses the term printing money, I, in- I instantly just know that I hate them. No, these delinquencies are reported to have started way before pandemic relief money went out. And I want to talk about this because every time it comes up, all that you hear about from finance bros and tech bros is pandemic money. Since the problem predates it, something else has to be going on here. Now, I watched like a lot of YouTube videos because there's there are a lot of like tech and finance bros who aren't stupid, but they're deeply indoctrinated. Given what we're talking about, that was almost my only source of information in an up-to-date sense. I think they're right in one way in that not that the government gave lots of money to regular people, but the government did give shit tons of PPP loans that never got paid back to all these companies that are finding new ways to fuck us over. Very true. And also, I'm going to get to another thing that actually was only brought to my attention two days ago. Dude, watching these fucking like finance fucking assholes talk, it's pulling teeth, dude. These people who just lost their fucking ass on crypto, but are certain that they're the most like, <laughs> that they're, they're the smartest guy in the room. They really bring a lot to the table when I'm wanting to know like, what the clear future of finance looks like. Every one of these videos, it's either overtly stated or deeply implied that people got government money and are stupid and immediately that they bought cars that they couldn't afford. You know, makes, makes sense to me. Why, why wouldn't you Like, only think two weeks ahead. (laughs) Two weeks ago, Mitch McConnell stated publicly, like, on the record, that we'd be seeing a a huge amount of people returning to work soon now that their stimulus money is starting to run out. (laughs) 
<laughs> now it's starting to run out. Because yeah. $2,000 definitely lasted us this long. Dude, the last fucking payment was a year and a half ago. So let's let's talk about this for a second. First of all, every one of these people who are making these claims can get fucked. Of course. Second of all, I'm just going to run through some 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 math here. A single person with no kids received $3,200 over the course of a full calendar year. That is three separate payments. And it is admittedly like I'm doing the simplest possible math because there are people who got like uh, child tax credits. Uh, there are obviously homes with two incomes and three kids who like actually got a decent amount of money. There are people who went on unemployment and their income increased because they make so little fucking money that when the government subsidized it, their fucking income. I'm going with like the base level thing of a single person, no kids. In one year, three payments, they received $3,200. Experts say that your monthly payment should be around 10% of your income and your down payment should be 20% of the total value of the car. So remember earlier I said that your average car prices right now are $47,000? <laughs> yeah. That would mean that for someone to put down the recommended down payment of $9,400, the whole of your stimulus money would only cover one-third of the down payment. Ouch. Yeah, so it ain't shit. So how, yeah, how the fuck does that work? Well, partially goes back to what Jalopnik discussed with lenders doing no fucking due diligence and giving loans to people that do not qualify. Again, because it's profitable to do so. Sorry. My notes don't seem to make sense here because it's just me going on a rant about how much I hate finance bros. <laughs> it's really fun. I, I can't make sense of this because I clearly just got so angry writing it. Like, fuck those guys. <laughs> All right, let's let's hear it. <laughs> well, I, well, no, like, I'm skipping some of it. There, there was one dude who I'm specifically going to comment on some of the shit that he said. I will not be mentioning his name because he is stupid and I already forgot it and I don't want to look it back <laughs> up. But seriously, though, if you're going to go through the effort of making a graph to show how stimulus payments drove up car prices, <laughs> you should probably at least make sure that the stimulus payments and the car price increases correlate. <laughs> <laughs> they did somewhat, but like the car prices started to rise well before anyone got their fucking Trump money. They would spike at random intervals that did not correlate. So it wasn't wholly without correlation, but it was not an obvious one-to-one -one connection. Which brings me to just a different problem in general, which is that correlation is not causation. Oh, yeah. People really, really need to learn that. It's a failure of the U.S. economics uh, education system that I see on a daily basis. Also, people can't read graphs. It's crazy. <laughs> like, they can't read a base. I'm like, you can't. It's so simple. It's so the evidence, but they can't even interpret the evidence. It really like, also th this guy, he does bring up supply chain issues and chip shortages. And just to prove how stupid he is, he glosses over it and then goes back and doubles down on how it was the stimulus <laughs> money. Yeah, there's supply chain issues and chip shortages, whatever. But obviously it was that $2,000 that everyone got. That's the real thing. We're just going to lost right over well obviously dude if there's a chip shortage causing a supply chain shortage and that negatively impacts supply i don't know man there's no connection between supply and demand that i know of is yeah, i mean that's what I'm i saying. haven't What's, heard of anything like that the funniest goddamn part is these are the kinds of people that can never look beyond supply and demand like where they're just like it's supply and demand bro and you're like yeah yeah look the mark the real world is more complicated than that they play a part a major part but to think that it's all just 
just supply and demand and there's no supply creating demand or you know vice versa whatever then for for one of these idiots to be like oh you know what actually you know what um yeah supply being an issue is inconvenient to my argument and my unbelievable adherence to capitalism so i'm just going to go ahead and gloss over that that's not the real issue (laughs) also another thing to mention is across the board every video that i came across basically like thanked their lucky stars that the chip shortage was finally waning and was going to be over soon Mm -hmm. and i would just like to take this time to point out that bosch themselves has stated that while it has waned recently because there is in sort of a transitionary period between years of cars that they have no reason to foresee that the chip shortage is actually going to go away anytime in the near future. Interesting. Because there's, there was a lot of stuff. Like, honestly, I, I could probably do like a short episode just on the chip shortage because it's, it's complicated and it's also real dumb. I'm not going to dwell on that too much. Just in two years from now when like there's still chip shortages, I told you so. <laughs> uh, and in two years when there's not, whatever, I'm wrong sometimes. I accept all of the uh, responsibility if I'm right and none of it if I'm wrong. Beautiful. I love it. Going back to what I said about correlation between car prices and stimulus checks isn't like especially strong. It, it is a little bit there, but it's just not super strong, right? Yeah. There is a for sure argument here that I'm wrong, but that's fine. I'm, I'm smarter than some of the people that are going to make that argument. I want to offer another view. Very recently, I think it was in the last week, Professor Richard Wolf went on RevLeft Radio. He explained his personal theory on what is causing a lot of this inflation. It was a really interesting perspective that I had never heard put forth before. And I'm going to share it with you all here. But I really encourage you to go listen to that interview because for his shortcomings that I hear some people claim, which is basically that he's not a revolutionary Leninist, Leninist, whatever... Uh, he's he's an economist and he's a leftist. He's on our side. Yeah, I mean, uh, and he's really fucking. He's smart. had some hot takes, but also most of what he says about economics is seems right to me. It's it's so rare to have an ally in academia that isn't like liberal arts or or something in that vein. Like to have an economist on the left is I don't know. It's worth listening to what he has yeah. to say. And I think it, I think it might have been um, guerrilla history podcast but we'll have the link in the show notes either way i i I was listening to it today while working on the car but i didn't finish it you guys have all listened to it now so you can correct me if if i slightly misportray it i mean i don't know if i retained any yeah i was working on the car i'm gonna be honest (laughs) with you fair enough well i encourage everyone to listen to it wherever you may find it but the gist of it is that when people have slightly more money one way to know that they have slightly more money is that the government just gave them some of it. They feel comfortable raising prices. When a competitor sees that uh, so-and-so raised their price, they will also raise their own prices because they want to make profits too. What it does is it, it creates a feedback loop where everyone wants to increase their prices instead of it being just the fault of the government or the fault of some poor fucking schmuck who just got two grand. It becomes, in Richard Wolf's view, the fault of every individual capitalist who tried to eke a little bit of extra profit out of every little thing that they sell. I am very comfortable being uh, critical of, of anyone who agrees with my perspective if I feel like the criticism is warranted. And the reason that I think that Richard Wolf is really fucking onto something here is the fact that we are not seeing ordinary circumstances surrounding inflation. We are seeing a fuck ton of companies reporting record profits in the midst of all of this inflation. 
And the situation that he describes is a situation that would create that. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree with that. And one of the things he was saying also is it's it's pretty convenient that one capitalist can say, oh, you know, the reason I had to ra- raise my prices is because all of the raw materials or all the parts that I'm using to to make my products are going up in price. And it's all these other capitalists raising the prices. And so I just have to raise my prices to make do. And it's not my fault. Whereas it's like you said, it's all of them doing it all the same thing all at once, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're incentivized to do it and they know they can get away with it. And, you know, kind of like I was saying before, that's part of why these auto loans are getting more and more expensive, going to poorer and poorer people. And they can just who cares? They, there's no risk. They can repossess the car. A lot of them are putting trackers in cars and shit now. All of this is just they're increasing their profits and working people. We're the source of their profits. So we're in a worse place. And so entering a recession now, it, it's probably it's going to hurt. Cars right now, I think, are playing a big part of you know the current economic crisis and what it could potentially become, I think. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping it up here, and it's, it's just that. It's very easy for a lot of people to be very blasé, but if you have to come up with a very short list of things in America that you just need, it's like I said at the beginning of the episode. You need a car. You've got to get to work. You've got to get the kids to school, et cetera, et cetera. It's not letting your car payment get behind. It's something that your average person is just very lackadaisical about doing because it's not important to them. Like, oh, whatever. No, you don't have money. You don't make the payments. It affects, like, if you make your house payment, you make your car payment, and hopefully there's money left over for food. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, sure, there are assholes in the world who just don't pay their bills. I'm fucking one of them. <laughs> It's basically why I don't finance things because it's definitely going to get taken away from me. <laughs> Even if I have money in the bank, I'm just like, no, fuck, fuck this company. I don't want to give them any more money. So the problem here is that as many people want to play this off as like, oh, people are irresponsible with their money and now they're just pay- like, you know, people fucked around and now they found out. I'm going to start speculating a little bit here. This is going to have really really far-reaching implications. I I personally think well beyond just the scope of this being an indicator of a recession. Yeah. A lot of the car loans that were bundled and sold were bought up very aggressively in spite of being considered junk or like, you know, really risky investments. And now that cars are being sold at all-time high prices are being repoed right around the same time car prices are finally beginning to fall, I think that we're risking a death spiral. My example is if a car's MSRP was $50,000 new and then somehow sold for $65,000, because remember, everyone is selling above MSRP, and the loan was for $81,000 because you can be approved for an auto loan up to 125% of the value of the car. After it gets repossessed, after the market crashes and prices become semi-normal again, then you've got a car that has to be resold so that, that this investment company or whoever can recoup their losses. And suddenly now it's only worth 30K because it's gone through like the normal amount of depreciation that a car goes through the second you drive it off of the lot. Let's say that owner had it for a year and made $12,000 worth of car payments on it. That means that the lender is still out $40,000 <laughs> on that car. And as the problem gets worse and more and more repossessions and resells will be flooding the market. What do we know about supply and demand? The fucking prices are going to be driven down as the market gets flooded with cars. So 
maybe I'm slightly melodramatic, but some financial agencies are predicting car prices to collapse as much as 20 to 30% in the next year. I think even if the last few months already gotten to the point where on average, in the last few months, it's already gotten to the point where average your average person across the board, your average person owes $3,700 more on their car than it's currently worth. Yikes. Yeah. So, so there's, there's no way for this to, to pan out good. And I want to dovetail on a couple of points here because we had discussed this a little bit last night. There's a number of other issues here. Got a situation where, like I've said, it is profitable for people to default on these loans. However, it's only profitable to the dealers. To the people who purchase those bundled subprime auto loans, not so profitable. Because when that defaults, that's the risky part of that investment. They are now out that money. You, you took the words out of my mouth. That was literally going to be the next thing I explained. Yeah, yeah. they lose the money. The, however, the dealer is making money. So this is one of those classic contradictions of, of a capitalist system. The dealer is incentivized to act in a way that is going to hurt this other sector of the economy, which will have far greater you know, impact on the overall economy by hurting these investors, tanking other securities, other financial instruments looking bad. And so that's really dangerous. That's why I think that we are looking at much broader implications because this isn't just a bunch of car dealerships going under. This is finance companies that bought these yes. loans. And on top of that, the prices of cars are set to, well, they might stay high if the chip shortage continues, but they got to come down at some point. They're already overvalued. So these investors who are like, oh, they might come down 20, 30%. <sighs> yeah, if you're lucky, that's an optimistic well, dude, the view. Other funny thing, the other funny thing is that the chip shortage fucked things up for a while, but now they're just sending out cars that aren't fully put together. I think it was 2021 was the first year in forever or like something or other. But every vehicle that I think GM made was getting one to two miles a gallon worse fuel economy than it had in previous years. <laughs> yeah. Because they lacked the uh, computer equipment necessary to do all of their like active fuel management shit. Yep. And so these cars are, they're not worth what they're charging. And dude, in 10 years, in, in 20 years, we're going to like 21, 22 is going to be the least collectible year of cars in automotive history. <laughs> you know, or, like, why would I buy that or, piece of shit? That was the year that they couldn't even finish building it before they sold it. However, it might become like coin or stamp collecting where it's like, oh, I got the imperfected model of this <laughs> and it's worth X amount because we're going to live in like a totally black pilled society at that point where people are like no, that. That'll be the point when gasoline is no longer. <laughs> even attainable from specialty places it's gonna be, so collecting cars will be like collecting stamps yes. like i got the i got the double print where they fucked up the chips on these and they put them in anyway and it got and it got four miles to the gallon i got that <laughs> model it's gonna be like the nfts of cars like but it's a physical i got the rarest model of tesla in 2022 because all the body lines are accurately gapped <laughs> and it didn't catch fire <laughs> <laughs> uh. We're currently in an uh, in an economic crisis of high inflation and, and you know, potentially coming unemployment. Uh, just as workers made some gains recently, so that's probably connected. 
in, in, in some survey, an absolutely like a very recent survey said that an absolutely astronomical amount of workers expect yeah. to be laid off within the next year. It was like 50 percent ish. And I, I'm in a situation cool. where I'm at a company where I wanted to use as a stepping stone and go to another company. And now I'm like, I'm a little bit scared to move. Now that the recession word is being thrown around and it's real, can I do that? I, I don't know. I might be. The point being, the spike in repossessions of these, you know, cars is an indicator that we are in fact starting into a recession. This kind of business model for cars is like setting up already the next crisis or the thing that's going to exacerbate the crisis. Because and there's also huge, you know, amounts of corporate debt, and that's a whole other situation but there is a serious bubble in the auto loan market it's currently set up that it the all the incentives are set up to make it worse for prices to start to collapse and then people who are twenty thousand dollars underwater on their car why make the payments like it makes more sense to default which as we already said can be profitable to certain people though it's going to hurt others this whole interplay in the economy, it is kind of a perfect storm. It's going to be extra fascinating to see how this interacts with this winter when COVID ramps up to a dramatically worse degree than it already is. Oh, don't forget monkeypox. Don't forget that one. I do have one more thought about car prices. Someone was talking about how part of the reason driving car prices up is that the average car is getting bigger in America. The car companies are trying to sell bigger SUVs and trucks because they're more profitable for them to sell. They're more profitable. Here's the other thing. And I got the, I, I'm stealing this from a donut media video. But as they pointed out, fuel economy standards are different for different sizes of vehicle. Yep. So it's like, yeah. And, yeah. and so in order to meet their fuel economy requirements, they're just making the cars bigger. It's a, it's a fucking loophole. Cars are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so they're getting pricier and pricier and pricier. So like that also exacerbates everything we've talked about previously. That's making it worse. Literally every part of the market is making this problem worse. You get into an economic crisis where we could see a whole bunch of defaults. It's really bad. It's just like it's this is scary. And it's weird because they're saying we're in a recession and it feels like a weird kind of recession where it's like just everything's just so expensive and everybody's working. That's a weird kind of feeling. And it's like, yes, I'm hearing the recession word on the news, but we don't have the like 2008. Oh, the stock market crashed today. We don't have that. Yeah, dude. In 2008, it felt like something outside happening that didn't affect me yeah like no which isn't to say it didn't affect me obviously it affected everyone to an extent i could still afford to eat and my rent didn't skyrocket because i was renting at the time and most people felt it in 2009 and 2010 though the recession of 2008 onward yeah didn't deeply impact me possibly because of where i was at in my life which is to say a train wreck i was a child so uh, yeah. Oh, fair <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a little different for me. I'm like, ah, you know, it's a little different. I, I, I just knew what the news said. <laughs> I think that was when I was working at Target and commuting via moped. So I was already <laughs> poor, so it didn't really affect me at all. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's it. I, I'm I, all I'm getting at is that now on a daily basis, I feel it. Before anyone ever said the the big bad recession word, 
I was already just like, fuck, dude, even buying groceries is getting fucking yeah. rough. Oh, yeah. It is painful right now. Rents are fucking outrageous. And groceries, nutso. And gas, yeah. So, like, I feel it. It hurts. I think I said it before. I took a pay cut to get into the industry I wanted to get into. So, I took, like, a pretty significant pay cut to move industries. Now, I'm like, oh, this fucking hurts. And I'm paying more in rent. And more for everything else. And I'm like, yo, please make it stop because uh, I'm not having a fun time anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I want to get off Mr. Capitalism's wild ride. <laughs> yeah, please. By a lot of weird metrics, I have done like all of the things that whatever fucking investment banker, like capitalist guy would tell you like, oh, you don't want to be poor anymore? poor anymore? Do this shit. Like I own my house. I have money saved up. And suddenly like every week, the amount of money that I have saved up is worth less. Yeah. So uh, I, I felt pretty good about where I was at, at starting out the year. And now I'm just like, shit, I'm going to need to go back to work soon because even though I haven't like plowed through my savings, it's just worth like a quarter or it's lost like a quarter of its value. Yeah. Well, you can, yeah, and you can see it dwindling. You're like, oh, shit, this is all right. I can feel it now. I don't feel it safe. I'm thinking about getting a second job. So isn't that fun? I'm thinking about buying a big block just because it's more affordable now than it's going to be in five years. <laughs> also, yeah. Well, uh, not necessarily. We'll see. Prices could greater. I don't mean in terms of gas prices. I'm, I'm talking about in terms of the spending power of the amount of money I have. Hmm, true. So what are the conservatives going to say when the U.S. is under, you know, hyperinflation? They're, they're going to keep saying capitalism is the most efficient system ever designed. <laughs> Yeah. When it's not being the most efficient, it's because it's Joe Brandon's fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't worry, guys. President Ron DeSantis is going to save us all. <laughs> Please oh, don't Jesus talk Christ. about Ron DeSantis. Please don't talk about it. Like, for real? I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about maybe I should. This whole episode me making predictions. Two Look. years from now, when, when he's fucking getting sworn in, y'all can check this fucking episode. <laughs> no, I'll go on the record. I, I think I think his ass is going to win. If, if he runs, I think his ass is going to win. Or maybe Trump, but... Oof, Ron DeSantis is a scary motherfucker, and I think he's got a real shot at winning. So, I think that by 2024, Trump's over-the-top radicalism will not be far enough. Yeah, yeah. And Ron DeSantis is fucking competent, right? Anyone that doesn't feel like the right word to use, but no. I do know what you're saying. Well, so here, I will, I will. He's effective. I will point to. Yeah, I will point to. What, my, what Michael Parenti says in pretty much every lecture he's ever done, if you think these people, these people at the fucking top calling the shots, if you think they're stupid, you're stupid. They know very well what the fuck they are doing. They are doing it on purpose, and they're very fucking good at making it happen. And that, to me, holds true. Like, yeah, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the fucking Warren Boberts, you're like, Jesus, how can anyone be this stupid? And I don't know if they are or they aren't, but the results they get, it's working. They are they are making gains for the ruling class. I actually do believe that those two specifically are genuinely stupid. I, I might concede on it. I think they might be stupid. But like in terms of the results they get for the ruling class, does it matter? Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene got stripped of every one of her assignments. Well, that or she's brilliant enough to know that if she just runs her mouth enough, she doesn't have to do any work. She raises more money than pretty much any other GOP candidate, and she is a brand. Her success guarantees the success of other crazies like Ron DeSantis. It's all connected. It's all a system. Yeah, she lost all her committee assignments, 
but she did make it okay to be a Christian nationalist, which is a oh fucking euphemism yeah. for Nazi. So just think about it. They're getting their way. So call them stupid all you want. They are getting their way. And us smart people are not. I'm not going to make any overly bold statements about this because it's a thing I'm reluctant to really like say like, well, this was the final step. But in my heart, I believe that if, if we get Ron DeSantis president 2024, that's that might be the final step towards fascism. Yeah, I hate to say it. Look, I, I've been drinking a little bit, so I'll, I'll say some shit on the air, but the air this is pre-recorded this is not the i mean people are downloading it on wi-fi that's that's on the air right okay there you go i'm I'm correct actually i'm not wrong (laughs) honestly and and i i think the left needs to think about this in a genuine kind of way and i i don't know exactly what this looks like but instead of trying to build revolutionary movements i think we need to create resistance movements because i i really I think that's where we're going to be. I, like, I don't, yes, we need to talk about revolution and stuff and what can we do. But like, at the end of the day, like, I think now is the time to start thinking about, okay, who's in your friend group? What skills do you have? How can you benefit a resistance movement? I think a lot of queer and, and especially trans people are going to need help. I'm going to be like highfalutin here and I'm quoting Lenin right now. They push general abstract political questions into the foreground, thereby concealing the immediate concrete question. I think that the reason I would predict Ron DeSantis to be the fascist that I think he's going to be is because he's gone so hard, like so hard against identity politics. I think that he is going to be able to get everything that he wants pushed through without effort as long as the facade that he maintains is against gay and trans, queer folks, women, like as long as he can keep the conversation about identity politics, he will do anything in the world that he wants. I agree. And that's not me. Like I get that that brushes up against like class reductionism. I don't think that like we need to ignore these sort of battles, but I do think that the right knows that we won't ignore them and pushes them extra hard because that's what they want us focusing on. Well, that and I, I, I genuinely I think it's kind of both. Well, I don't think that he's cool. I think they'll put people in camps if it gets them what they want. And well, they need somewhere to put them when they take them away from their parents or take the parents away for being OK with yeah. it or whatever. Yeah. You always are treading on unstable ground when you start predicting camps or fascism. We've been on the march towards these things for so long. It it's, feels like less of a matter of if and more a matter of when. And Ron DeSantis seems like he would be the fucking one to do it. I think America has been a fascist country for a long time. I think it has hidden that fact. And it's been less, let's put people in camps. But it's been a fascist police state. Fine. We'll do a side episode where we go on for a year about the fact that, yes, obviously America has been fascist for 100 years. We've changed the shape of fascism in such an effective way. Yes. That's that's a whole... We yeah. have gone way off, <laughs> off topic here. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we should probably... Hey, uh, this is the show that doesn't know how to end its podcast, basically. Yeah. But <laughs> shit's bad, people. And we're, and we're recording this now to say we told you so. All right. Uh, Con- Connor, you want to promote our socials? Oh, yeah. We have social media stuff. Instagram uh, at Cars and Comrades Podcast. And we also have a Twitter at Cars and Comrades Podcast. And we have a Hex Bear. And I think we have a Reddit. And you can like us on Facebook. I'm not necessarily going to post anything there, but we have a page. So, yeah. um, and uh, hey, if, if you like our podcast, 
it would be cool if you could give us a little, little rating or a review or something. We'll say a little something nice. Uh, like, hey. And if you don't like our podcast, why are you listening? Go fuck yourself. Yeah, you shouldn't be listening, especially this long in. Jesus. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Hey, give us a little nice review and say, like, hey, these guys are cool. And they say stuff about cars and communism. And it's really cool. And I like it. That would be awesome. But, or just uh, wait six months and then like give us a review that's like, wow, they really nailed it on that episode about how the economy was about to collapse. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's all I got. I joke about the things that make me sad. <laughs> Yay, coping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> all right, bye, everybody. Bye. bye. All right, bye. Capitalism works if it works at all because it always has socialism to bail it out and and to subsidize it. Ask any race, any real race. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. <laughs>